It's the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Joyce Bradford, a round of the magic of folklore. And then Jared reveals which former Supreme Court justices would make the best zombies. But first, your host, Jared Correa. Oh my God. Is that the Legal Toolkit podcast music? Welcome to the show. It's still called Legal Toolkit, even though I've held a hammer like twice in my entire life. I'm your host, Jared Korea. Larry King was unavailable because he's fucking dead. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. I've got some exciting news. This is our Halloween episode. Now, before we get to our interview today with Joyce Bradford from Cosmolex, she's going to talk about some scary shit that lawyers do. I wanted to take a moment to discuss the first cartoon I ever loved. Scooby, Dooby, Doo, where are you? That was my William Shatner voice. How did I do? There's someone, some thing on the wing. Okay, I'll stop now. The original run of Scooby Doo, Where Are You? ended the year before I was born. But that didn't stop me from watching that show until my eyes bled. I love the concept, love the characters, love the theme song. I love Scooby-Doo so much, in fact, that I only wore Scooby-Doo underwear when I was a kid. That's right, I had like 10 pairs. And I'm not talking about regular underwear, because this was the 80s. That's right, I was rolling out tidy whities only. Hey, I'm old. I didn't switch to boxers until I was in college. So anyway, it was Scooby-Doo underoos for me all day, every day. My whole family made fun of me, only I didn't give a damn. But my parents, seeing a viable opportunity to blackmail me at some future time, would always threaten to take a photo of me and said underoos. That, that was the trademark. They were called underoos back then. While well, I was in the process of getting my pajamas on. So one of the most famous photographs of me sees me streaking from my bedroom to the bathroom wearing nothing but Scooby-Doo underwear. That's right. I was like Walter White before Walter White without, like, the meth lab. Scooby-Doo has a really interesting history, though. It was actually created as a response to parents' protests about violent cartoons on Saturday mornings. If you grew up with the internet, my friends, Saturday morning cartoons on TV were a real thing when I was growing up. And when I was trying to drum up some ideas for a Halloween podcast monologue, what you're listening to right now, I walked into the living room and noticed that my kids were watching Scooby-Doo. Not the original Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated instead, which ran for two seasons on Cartoon Network from 2010 to 2013. Now, you might think, being an old fuddy-duddy like myself, that I would hate any new versions of Scooby-Doo beyond the first one. And Mystery Incorporated was actually the 11th incarnation of Scooby-Doo. But perhaps I'm cooler than you thought. Because I think Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated is hands down the best version of Scooby-Doo. And you should go watch it right now. It's on Netflix. 
Probably the best part about the show is that while it adheres to the anthology format common to most Scooby-Doo shows, where they do the Monster of the Week episode, they actually employ running storylines across both of the seasons. It's kind of like an X-Files version of Scooby-Doo. And the plot is fucking wild. Like, the show is based around the Nibiru Cataclysm. Look that shit up on Wikipedia. It's crazy. But there are also a ton of other cool illusions made throughout, including heavy rotation on H.P. Lovecraft. Heavy-duty stuff for a cartoon, I would say. And beyond that, they put, like, this Dawson's Creek spin on things, too. Daphne's in love with Fred, but he's too interested in trap-making to care. Velma's in love with Shaggy, but he prefers the company of Scooby. Not like that, you pervert. At the end, they all get together. Not like that, again, but it's a wild ride to get there. Okay, phrasing, that one's on me. The voice cast is fantastic. Fred Jones is just about my favorite animated character ever. I mean, honestly, you have to be pretty badass to rock an ascot like that. And Frank Welker still voices him and Scooby in the show. If you don't know Frank Welker, he does a ton of classic cartoon voices like Megatron, Garfield, Curious George, to name three. Mindy Cohn from The Facts of Life is Velma. So the original Daphne voice actor committed suicide. Yikes, I know. So the second Daphne, uh, her name is Gray Delisle, is on the mic here. Casey Kasem, the original voice of Shaggy, was semi-retired by this point, but he played Shaggy's dad. And like Matthew Lillard from the Scooby-Doo live-action movies, takes over in the Shaggy role. He's very good. Plus, you've got Gary Cole Lumberg from Office Space, who plays Fred's dad, who's also the mayor. Patrick Warburton, Putty from Seinfeld, and The Tick is the sheriff. Comedian Louis Black is a shady character. Linda Cardellini, who played Velma in the live-action movies, and Hawkeye's wife in the Avengers movies, by the way, is a character named Hot Dog Water. Yep. Uh, plus, if you're a real Scooby-Doo fan, you'll know it was originally a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Joseph Hanna, William Barbera. I think I have those right and not mixed up. They came out with some cool shit in the 60s, like the fucking Flintstones and the goddamn Jetsons. And there's a fantastic episode of Mystery Incorporated where we bring back a lot of obscure Hanna-Barbera cartoon characters like the Funky Phantom. Oh, man, those were the days. So if you're looking for a trip down memory lane or just a cool hang with your kids, check out Mystery Incorporated. It's got great plotting, fun characters, and a lot of inside jokes. Did I mention that it's free on Netflix? Plus, I mean, I would have finished this monologue like two minutes earlier if not for those meddling kids. Now, before we get to our promised conversation with the one and only Joyce Bradford, sales manager at Cosmolex, about frightening things that attorneys do in law practice, Let's see what Joshua Lennon has brewing in his cauldron for this week's Clio Legal Trends Report Minute. What would you say if I told you that in 2020, law firms using technology earned over $37,000 more per lawyer than law firms that didn't? I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer in residence at Clio. Consider this, the benefits to adopting more efficient, time-saving solutions are real and have driven significant business growth for law firms even in the face of challenges during the COVID-19 pandemic. The first step is to learn what the opportunities are. Clio's Legal Trends Report looks deeply into how solutions like electronic payments, client portals, and client intake software support law firm growth. To learn more about these technologies and much more for free, download Clio's Legal Trends Report at clio.com 
forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O. So let's get to the berries, leaves, twigs, and nuts we foraged and that are representative of our podcasting strategy. It's time to interview our guest. I've got a really great guest for you today. Her name is Joyce Brafford, and she's the sales manager at Cosmolex. Joyce, welcome to the show. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Now, we've known <laughs> each other for a while when you were working at the North Carolina Bar Association to start with. Now you're over at Cosmolex. How are things going? Everything good with you? Yeah. You know, things are pretty spectacular. It's um, It was quite the journey to get from the Bar Association to Cosmolex, but I could not be any happier with where I landed. It's a wonderful company. Turn to the dark side of for-profit. You know, I'm yeah. with you. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. Let's, let's live that for-profit life. That's, that's the continuing lesson of capitalism. Money is good. <laughs> so we're doing a Halloween episode and we got some cool Halloween content for people. Let's talk about like scary things that law firms do. I mean, yeah. take your pick, right? Malpractice yeah, risks, issues mm -hmm. that law firms have. Yeah. What do you think is like the scariest practice that law firms have or things they don't attend to that mm -hmm. they should be attending to? So I'm going to give you the full grab bag. What's number one for you? What okay, scares so you the most when you talk to law firms? Honestly, so I want to preface this by saying I'm a lawyer. Yes. Went through the whole rigmarole. I get to say things because I am a lawyer. I am you know part the of the drill. team. What scares me the most is when lawyers are lazy. I mean, it's just laziness. They get inattentive to things. And they're, they're kind of like three big risk buckets where I see people fall into. Obviously, accounting and failure to reconcile their books. You know, that's a yes. huge one that seems yeah. to wrap up that's so many people. That's kind of a big deal. That's a big deal. <laughs> Security is another huge one. It's just wild how insecure law firms are. And again, that's so much puts Wait, how at, insecure law firms are or lawyers are? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the third one is employee management. And I don't think we talk about this part enough. Like no. lawyers and law firms, I see a tremendous amount of failure to manage employees, failure to do performance assessments, failure to get them the appropriate manner of training, failure to find out if they're happy and are taking care of your clients. I mean, it's crazy how we talk about law firm security. Uh, we talk about, you know, the need to be technologically savvy. You know, right. Cosmolex talks about accounting all the time, but I just mm -hmm. don't see a lot of people out there talking about employee management and making sure that your employees have the tools they need to be happy so they don't quit in the middle of a pandemic. Well, I mean, how many law firms are like sticking with old software so they don't have to buy additional licenses? I feel like in a yeah. nutshell, that kind of describes how law firms treat their employees. So let's, why don't we take <laughs> right. each of those one by one? So yeah. on the employee management side, so we've identified the problem. What tips do you have for law firms to improve that? Yeah. So first and foremost, the best thing you can do here is take one hour of your required CLE this year, just one hour, and devote it to an HR-related <laughs> employee management CLE and get some actual legal advice here because you are putting your law firm at an unnecessary risk if you are not properly managing your employees. And there are some things that are just so basic that you can do today. Have a conversation with your folks. Hey, how's your work Wait, going? Wait, actually talk to people? Are you Wait, sure yeah, about actually that? Talk Does that work? People. Yes. Talk to people and be receptive to what they have to say. And this is a thing I see all the time where lawyers are so wrapped up and so committed to a process that they have in their firm where you know they're running a report that no other 
firm runs where they've got a crazy process that no one else is doing. And they think that this is the way their firm's done it for 20 years. They have to keep doing it this way. And they end up putting hours of extra work on their staff every single week because they're printing off emails or (laughs) they're running pre-bill reports and then manually changing these things with pen and paper and having their employees type their invoices, capturing their time digitally again, and then reprinting their pre-bill reports. Some of it is just so silly. Like find out what you can do to take off of your employee's plate. I do find sometimes when I'm talking to people about Cosmolex and I say, hey, this is going to eliminate a lot of time, a lot of burden, a lot of friction. They'll say, well, what are my employees going to do? And I, <laughs> and I, and I think to myself, well, maybe serve your clients. <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. perhaps. <laughs> what could perhaps. my employees possibly do if they're what not doing all this do? rote work that can be automated? Oh, right? I don't know. But that, yeah, that's what it comes down to, right? And you, you look at, you look at the reports that come out every year, the state of the profession reports by all the various companies, and you see every single law firm rating client satisfaction consistently among the chief markers of success. It's not making more money. It's not expanding their employee base. It's, are my clients satisfied? Am I a successful firm if my clients are satisfied? And if you open your, right, if you give your employees more space to better serve your clients, that will improve your client's entire experience with your law firm. So that's, that's part of it. Listen to your employees. I love it when law firms do things like hire customer success managers. That's a great that's really way cool. to look into this. Yeah. Yes. That's that's a really cool thing to do. I recommend I that yet. to my clients all the time. I think it's a really smart yeah. thing to do. Like yeah. and I, I know you know about this as well, but like if I'm a law firm right now, I'm trying to run my law firm more like a tech company because mm-hmm. those are gonna be your competitors in the future. They really are. They really are. You've gotta be what was gosh. Six, seven years ago, everyone was talking about concierge law. You needed to be a concierge for your clients. You needed to connect them to everything. You needed to be the spoke. If somebody came to you with a problem, you yeah. needed to be able to provide the answers for them. And I think that that's still true. You know, they've got Google. You should be better than Google. Okay. Tall order. But you can you tall can do order. it, lawyers. Lawyers listening, you can do it. <laughs> Honestly, right, so pay, if you, yeah, if you've got pay something attention like to a client your employees. portal. Yeah. Exactly. Make it easy for, for your employees to respond to people. Make it easy yes. for your employees to have thoughtful responses to your clients. Make it easy for your clients to feel heard. And that is impossible if your employees are overworked. So, um, right. Yeah. Very true. I love Be this. Mindful. Okay, so. Be mindful. That, that's employee management. You want to talk about security or you want to talk about accounting? I want to talk about accounting first. I know Cosmo likes has been heavy into the accounting. And lawyers are horrible at math and finance. <laughs> and worst. a lot of them have difficulty wrapping their arms around this. So like, mm-hmm. what mistakes do they make? How can they fix those? Your thoughts? Yeah. My thoughts. So let's fix accounting for law firms. First let's of all- Let's do it. Let's do it in <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> um, first of all, I'm a big believer that you offload work to experts. I mean, that's why we hire lawyers, right? Because, I mean, all of our clients come to us because they don't want to go to court. Like, we recognize the power of expertise. So hire experts to do the things. (laughs) That's just part of it. Have an accountant. Have an accountant. Have a CPA. Have a bookkeeper. Have someone to assist you. Um, If you're not in a position to have someone reconcile your books for you, whether you're a small firm and you can't do it or you can't afford someone to contract with on a very regular basis, you can only afford uh, someone to come in quarterly, you just have to have the processes in place to keep your books clean in the interim. 
for three months. Right. That's all you need to do. Cosmolex is really good about this. I, you know, I'm not on here to be super pitchy about Cosmolex, but I am going to say there is not a single cloud platform out there that is a true sole cloud provider that is designed for small, mid-sized firms in the U.S. and Canada that does accounting better than Cosmolex. There's just not a single one. The way we nearly fully automate three-way reconciliation, the way we notify you if something doesn't look right, the way we prevent you from overdrafting your trust account, not only your primary trust account, but for your individual accounts, for each one of your individual clients. The level of safety measures and guardrails we have to keep your books clean and to protect law licenses, it's wild. Like, well, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think why anybody wouldn't do it. Well, I think that's the thing, right? Like if you can, like, I tell people this all the time, like all these agencies that are checking up on lawyers, like yeah. the easiest thing for them to do is to be like, you screwed up your trust accounting because yep. that's, that's relatively simple math, especially since most firms do hourly billing. Right. So that's something you have to really look hard to protect for sure. And if you're using yep. a software that's going to allow you to manage those transactions and push out reporting, that's an easy way to solve for that. It really is. And there, there are lots of things that manage time and billing. And that's mm-hmm. kind of only half of it, right? It's it's that sync back over to your accounting software that matters. What freaks right. me out where we are right now is everything seems to have an open API and everything's relying on these third-party syncs. Freaks yes. me out all the time. I had a sync break on a personal thing that I had this morning. I'm like, where are all these things that I'm looking for for my Girl Scouts? <laughs> Where's right? all my data? Yes. <laughs> Where's where are my Girl Scout forms? Because in addition, well, you to need to get the Girl Scout cookies out. Like that's the legitimate need. So we're kind of treading into the territory of like data security when yeah. we're talking about like open API stuff. But before we leave this discussion of finances, like there's two levels of this as far as I'm concerned. One is like you want to keep your house in order so you don't get disbarred. But that's a relatively low level, right? (laughs) Yeah, like meet that level. (laughs) Right, right. Like what things can lawyers do proactively to get a better handle on the financial management of their practices? Yeah, really great question. So most of us took some type of basic accounting like accounting 101, accounting 102 when we were in college. Most of us did something like that, right? But going back, understanding the really fundamental pieces of this, what is a P&L or profit and loss statement? What are my accounts receivables? What are my accounts payables? What do these terms mean? And then say, okay, let me go look at my books. How much money do I have right now? What are the assets of this firm, including my accounts receivables? What are all of my payables? What are all of my liabilities? Work in progress, right? I would add to that list (laughs) as well. Yeah, exactly, right? What I would say is... In order to truly have a grasp on the financial health of your firm, you need to look at what your average rate is, how you are billing. But beyond that, it's your collection rate. And this is where people get really wonky. You know, we see lawyers send out bills. They don't get paid for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Once you get to that 120-day mark, you're not going to get that bill back. It's not going to get paid. You just better write that off. So proactively, you need to figure out how you are going to get paid before that. And that's where things like client portals, digital invoices that have a link so people can pay with a credit card online as soon as they see it, getting your bills out fast. So here's, here's what you need to do. Understand what you have. And understand what you need to pay and which of your live, which of your, excuse me, your assets 
those accounts receivables specifically, your unpaid invoices, what's the rate of collection that you're going to expect on that? If you can understand just those three basic parts, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Certainly there are other pieces, right? Your overall budget, unexpected expenses, but those three primary parts, you're going to understand 85% of the health of your business. Yeah, if you want that's... to be healthier, yeah, <laughs> send out invoices faster. Let people yes. pay online with a credit card and have a reminder system, a regular reminder system that automates an email that says, hey, you have this outstanding invoice. It was sent to you on this date. This is what you still need to pay. And let your system be your collection agency for you. But if you're doing things manually, if you're doing things, and I see this all the time, people printing out actual pieces of paper <laughs> and putting them in the mail yes. with here, send this little slip back with a credit card uh, number attached to it. Man, you're you're going to collect at such a pitiful rate. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really bad. Those are all good tips. And the other thing I would mention before we move on to the next subject is like, I think software of late, legal software and software generally is doing a much better job of surfacing data mm -hmm. and visualizing data yeah. through dashboards, which are a lot easier for an average attorney to access than reports. True. We've got one more topic that I want to discuss. Yeah. The third scary thing that lawyers do poorly, which yeah. is data security. Data security. <laughs> or lack of data security. Lack, Let's talk that, about that's that. That's why I laugh. That's why I laugh. It's not a funny topic, but it is terrifying when we think about the amount of data that is just in the world that has almost no true security around it. I get it. I get it. Putting things on a server that's not in your office is scary. Trusting a company to protect your data when it doesn't live in your office is scary. I completely right. get that. But man, thinking about how easy it is to get into a law firm's server located on-prem and finding all of that unencrypted, not password protected data and the amount of information's there, names, birth dates, social security numbers, addresses, relationships, confidential information aside from just personal identifying information, you know, it's absolutely outrageous to me that every law firm in the world does not have some type of third-party contracting system protecting their data. And not just, right. not just the stuff that they create, not just their work product, but all of their systems. You know, how are you collecting your time and billing? How are you sending out your invoices? Where do you, you know, you're not client-related documents live, all of that stuff. It's just, it's so sensitive. It's so important. Why aren't we treating it like the valuable asset that it is? And then why are people still using Windows like 2003? <laughs> I, I was talking to a firm, I was talking to a firm last month that had a 20-year-old uh, a version of Windows that they were running. Yeah, I think we can chalk that up to because lawyers. And it's true. Lots of updates to make, lots of grounds mm -hmm. to cover. But I think we've gotten some good information to people on those three frightening categories of law practice management. If you're into Halloween and your bag of treats mostly involves tricks, these are some good tips from Joyce. So thank you, <laughs> Joyce. That was Joyce Brafford from Cosmolex. Now, don't worry. Joyce will be back in a moment, so don't go nowhere. We'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Partner with Rankings.io. 
the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and... Take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Welcome to the rear end of the legal toolkit. That's right, everybody. It's the Rump Roast. It's a grab bag of short-form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to choose? Because I'm the host. So, Joyce, you're back. Thanks for returning. You couldn't keep me away. <laughs> so we just had a random call the other day, and we ended up talking for 20 minutes about cryptozoology. <laughs> and I thought to myself, that would be an amazing segment on this show. Now, just so you know, if you're listening out there, all the really weird stuff that we talk about that's mostly Adam Lockwood, just so you know. So direct your hate mail there. But this is, <laughs> this is mine. This is all mine. I've always been really interested in cryptozoology. So Joyce, I'm anointing you as our official cryptozoology expert. I know you can handle it, and I'm so yes. proud of you. Thank you. First, I don't know if everybody knows what cryptozoology is, what cryptids are, but if you could provide some definition, that would be a great yes. place to start. Yep. Uh, cryptozoology is the study of biological organisms of unknown origin. What makes them crypto is that there's no actual evidence of them. <laughs> so how we study them without evidence, I don't know. Uh, yes. uh, crypto, crypto science. Crypto yes. science. Okay. So, and then your second question, what is a cryptid? A yes. cryptid is just shorthand for one of these animals, organisms, something that we don't have any evidence of. It's basically, you know, scary monsters that we see in the woods, right? It, it's folklore. It's folklore. It's just a fancy term. So like the Loch Ness Monster would be a cryptid, right? The, yeah, yes. Okay. Yes. Can I tell you about my least favorite Loch Ness Monster? Yes. Because there, There's there, more than so, one? Essentially. Essentially. Oh, so every major wow. body of water in the world has some form of cryptid. Every single one, right? Huh. 
My least favorite of these is the South Bay Bessie. It's the South Bay Bessie oh, in uh, Lake Erie. Yes. Yes. So it, it's essentially someone said, hey, uh, Loch Ness Monster, that sounds scary. I think we also should have a scary thing in our lake too. And so that's why, seriously, that's why all of these bodies of water have something. <laughs> Somebody, some idiot reporter somewhere wanted to put something in the paper and uh, they found some schlub that was willing to say something. But in almost every case, in every case in the Northern Hemisphere, every single one, it's going to be a wave reflection. It's going to be a pike or a sturgeon. Every single oh, interesting. one. Or a hoax, yes. right? Because there have been some or hoaxes. Or a hoax. I mean, like if somebody actually sees something though, right? Yes, 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 yes. Did you know that um, in Vermont, there's a lake monster in Lake Champlain that they call Champy? And I did know that, yes. I, um, I I go up there sometimes with my family. And so like when my son was little, I used to walk behind him on the lake and throw rocks into the water. And I'd be like, <laughs> oh shit, it's Champy. And I would make sure that like every time I threw a rock, it would get closer and closer and closer to him. He's in therapy you don't think now. That's a, you don't think that's a little, um, you know, challenging in his formative years? <laughs> Yeah, it was. But he's mostly <laughs> overcoming it. Several more years of therapy, we should be good. He'll be okay. He'll be okay. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite cryptids out there? Okay. Okay. The one that makes the least amount of sense to me, honestly, it's another North American one. It's it's Mothman. Yes. Let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, tell people what Mothman is. I've heard Mothman. Mothman. It's a it's another nor'easter cryptid. Uh it's this big flying thing that scares people in the middle of the night, typically hovers around bridges, I guess, because streetlights are there. I don't know. Um, naturally, it's a moth, right? Naturally, naturally. We'll come back to the Norm MacDonald moth joke later. One of the best jokes <laughs> of all time. Oh, yes. You um, know I love Norm <laughs> um, Loved your Norm MacDonald show, though, by the way. Thank um, you. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, the Mothman, let me tell you why I love and hate the Mothman. So, in every description, body of a man, wings of a moth, red glowing eyes. Nowhere in the evolutionary record of anything <laughs> ever, ever, does something have both arms and wings. It oh, cannot that's true. happen. Yes, it I cannot see that. happen. The other piece of this is red glowing eyes. Anything that has a description of red glowing eyes, first of all, if the eyes emit light, the eyes cannot receive light. The whole function of eyes wow. is You've to really receive light. Wow, you've really gone deep here. I'm impressed. <laughs> I am so, I love and hate the Mothman because people get, <laughs> it, there are statues to the Mothman. People love it and none of it makes sense. Like you, you cannot have arms and wings. You cannot have glowing eyes. Like maybe you saw a big bird. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I love like how a, utterly I, I like. I thought yeah. you were going to be like uh, a crypto promoting, but you're actually debunking everything. <laughs> well, listen, I love them. You're I never going to get a gig on the History Channel. I'm never going to get a gig. Let me tell you my favorite one, though. Let me tell yes. you my absolute favorite cryptid outside of the Bigfoot lore is the Carolina Reptile Man. Okay. So, man, woman, let me not assume the Carolina <laughs> Repti Reptids. Can we get the pronouns. gender pronouns right for the not, Carolina Reptid, please? The Carolina Reptid. It's the Carolina Reptid, guys. I'm going on the record. It is the Carolina Reptid. Okay. Okay. So, this thing. So perfect in its tiny encapsulation in history. Like you don't see any additional hoaxes. You don't see any additional sightings. It was the summer of 1988. Okay, so think about the 80s, right? Specifically 88. We I, are I in absolute, <laughs> right? We are in absolute peak 
horror movie season, right? You think of all the great movies of the 1980s. Okay, so Elm Street came out, Halloween was recent, Hellraiser was recent, Gremlins, Prom Night, the always surprising Sleepaway Camp, which is... (laughs) Right? Cannibal Holocaust... Also wow. 80s horror. Wow. Um, and then the ones that like still resonate now, like Evil Dead, all 80s horror, yes. right? People loved being scared in the 80s. People have always loved being scared, but in the 80s, mm. it like took on this whole other element of gore and cinematography. Horror in the 80s, I know it was just like absolutely panned by so many critics at the time, but looking back on it, it was a tremendous movement for the genre. I'm not a huge <laughs> horror fan, but I can recognize art and I can recognize a movement when I see it. I and get it was it. fantastic, yeah. right? <laughs> so you've got these people who are heavily influenced by the culture of their time, right? Mm-hmm. Also, probably drunk and driving in a swamp. Okay. Probably. So <laughs> so there's this young man, summer of 88. He's driving through these swamps in South Carolina. I mean, South Carolina is like 75% swamp anyway. Sorry to South Carolina listeners out there. Oh, boy. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> but it's swampland. <laughs> um, and uh, guy ends up running off the road. He sees something come out of the swamp, claims it is a seven-foot-tall, oh bipedal, scaly, glowing red-eyed monster with three fingers with claws on the fingers. Like how in the middle of the swamp night, you can see how many fingers a thing has. That's a pretty deep description. It's detailed, right? It's (laughs) detailed. So pretty soon afterwards, like um, uh, just like a few weeks later, someone else sees this reptile man. It's at that point that the newspapers pick it up. Okay. Then all of a sudden people are seeing sightings. It becomes this sort of mass hysteria type of thing. People see scary Mm. things in the woods and they think it's the reptile man. So the police get involved with this. They go out, the the police take plaster castings of these three toed footprints, like in the muddy swamp sand. Um, (laughs) They call the FBI, Jared. Oh, the FBI's FBI is involved? Oh, this <laughs> is like FBI real life X Files. FBI, yeah. FBI declined to investigate. Uh, but oh, then wow. the, cool, yeah, the cooler, <laughs> the cooler weather, weather set in, fall rolled around, done. That's the end. Oh, that's so, it. That's the whole story. That's, it. that's the whole thing, man. So you get, you get an entire town in an absolute tizzy. You get an actual police investigation. You have cars that come out of the swamp that were mangled. I mean, like, Chrome torn up, fenders torn off, claw marks down the side. People ran into trees, let's be real. But I mean, like it was, it was this whole town's just the only thing they were talking about for the summer of 88. And then just like that, it's gone. And it is, right? It's the, it's the magic of folklore. The Carolina Reptile Man something. Maybe that's what we'll call this segment. All right. So, yeah. Joyce. (laughs) Thank you for coming on. This was fun. <laughs> I had a great time, Jared. Thank you so much for having me. If you want to find out more about Joyce Braffern and Cosmolex, visit Cosmolex.com, C-O-S-M-O-L-E-X.com. Now, for those of you listening in Sleepy Hollow, New York, we've got a very creepy Spotify playlist for you this week. Halloween songs. You probably saw that coming. Well, we've run out of time for me to tell you that Stephen Breyer is actually a zombie. Ah, oh, shit. That'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast, where it's always treats. Happy Halloween.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.